Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I trust something you hear in the next hour may just open you to thinking about transitioning to a life-sustaining society. Hmm, what does that mean, you ask? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and I've been talking about memes quite a bit. And a, a meme is a cultural item that's transmitted by repetition and replication in a manner that's kind of similar to the biological transmission of genes. So a meme can be in the form of an image, a video, a phrase, or whatever. And there are so many memes that are important for this time of great transition on our planet. I've heard so many really good memes lately, but three in particular really say it all for me. Listen to these three. One, transition to a life-sustaining society. Two, culture of love. And three, good of the whole Listen to how they sound when I put them together. I am committed to transition to a life-sustaining society and culture of love for the good of the whole. Nice, huh? So, if memes are like genes, it's important for our healthy, positive memes like these to get transmitted and replicated widely. How do we do that? Well, today I am really honored to have with me the instigator of the great transition initiative and a passionate promoter of the meme transition to a life-sustaining society. He says the task of our time is to accelerate the great transition that is already underway and indeed change the direction of our whole society to become ecologically sustainable. This will require a massive change in public attitudes and behaviors. He believes personal conversations are our most powerful tool for affecting people's mindset. And he has created an extensive, I mean extensive, I was so impressed when I first saw this website and this repository, an extensive repository of tools, tips, resources, and information that make inspiring that commitment so much easier. We're going to talk about that today. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest Andrew Gaines is the instigator, like I mentioned, of the Great Transition Initiative. I love that word instigator, and he's going to probably tell us why he used that, because I'm going to ask him. He's a, it's The Great Transition Initiative is a citizen-led educational movement to inspire thoughtful, mainstream commitment to doing everything required to transition to a life-sustaining society. Andrew was a principal organizer of the Creative Thinking Forum on Transitioning to a Viable Society in Sydney in 2010. 
and the National Summit on Whole Systems Change to a Life-Sustaining Society in Geelong in 2011. That's Australia we're talking about. He's the author of this incredible resource that we're going to talk a lot about today called Kitchen Table Conversations. It's a manual, and he's also authored Creative Conversations. There are so many really brilliant tools right here at your fingertips if you want to have a conversation about what's going on in our world today. So I am so happy to welcome Andrew. Welcome, (laughs) welcome. What a beautiful introduction. I am just smiling inside, Julie. Oh, excellent. Good. You know, it's, it's funny. I've been thinking about this show for some time and I, and I've been thinking about what, what's been going on, um, in the United States and so many of my friends who are really um, just fired up about this transition that we're talking about and and what is a life-sustaining society. And, you know, we've got, not everybody agrees on this, so I can't wait to hear, kind of have you teach us because it's, it isn't about the education. We've got scientists who are finally coming on board and in agreement and now politicians aren't and we take 10 steps forward and we take a couple steps back. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. But first I have a traditional question here on the show and you may have heard it before, but hopefully not. So it'll be off the cuff here. Can you share with our listeners, Andrew, what does all things connected mean to you? Sometimes I just pause a moment, Julie, and call the, suppose the history of the move of the universe. So we started as a speck of energy that expanded in, in the Big Bang. That speck of energy is morphed and changed and gas clouds and planets and explosions and finally our planet and the evolution of life. And uh, give you a little poem. <laughs> I can remember it off the top of my head. This is a short history of the universe. Galaxies form. The earth turns. Cells divide. Bones grow. Spirit rises. Ecstasy follows. So I just drop into a space of this ongoing universal evolution occurring right now, not just part of it. And on Earth, I'm part of the web of life, the web of life that we well know is unraveling, being unraveled. And since I'm part of that, I choose to take responsibility not for the, well, for the unraveling, but specifically do what I can to reverse the process of unraveling. So mm. That's a answer. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, you and I both are, are psychotherapists by training. We, we care about people and, and we care about healing. We've looked at a lot of different modalities for healing. And now here we, we both are really stepping into a voice that says it's, it's really time to heal our planet. And so I, I would love to hear a little bit about your story, Andrew, and, and how you got to this place. Um, the, the meme, Transition to a Life-Sustaining Society, is so important. We're going to talk a lot more about that. And being this instigator of the Great Transition Initiative, I would love to hear how you 
got to this place? Well, here are some parts of it. I was, um, I wrote a book, as you mentioned, called Creative Conversations. It's a manual of games and exercises that by playing the game is people develop the kinds of neurological skills often used by great innovators. I was talking with a friend about the book and she said, oh, you might go and look at a group called EcoSteps. They do environmental consulting, but they might be interested in creativity. So I introduced myself to the EcoSteps network and um, in the course of those conversations, I heard about the natural step. And I trained in the natural step. The natural step is a way of uh, working out whether a company or a country, or indeed the whole globe, is in fact ecologically sustainable or not. So I'm training the natural step, and somebody mentioned the term corporate social responsibility. Oh, that's important. I'm trained in philosophy. I think I should think through for myself what corporate social responsibility should mean before I um, find out what other people mean by it. So I gave a little thought. It wasn't hard. But well, in our ecological age, Anthropocene, if you will, corporate social responsibility should mean businesses taking responsibility for the well-being of the whole society. As you might imagine, this was not what I found. Now, having trained and practiced as a Feldenkrais practitioner, I'm a systems thinker. And I thought, yeah, well, if we're going to deal with any of these big issues like global warming, we have to change the whole system, a whole system change, as some call it. And not finding many people talking about, talking about that, I said, well, I guess that's on my shoulder. And I asked the question, how do we catalyze a movement to um, indeed change the whole system? It's part of what brought me to being here. Mm. One of the things I appreciate most um, in the conversation that we've had and, and the work that you're doing is that whole systems model of change and transition and um, literally inviting the general public, you know, to come into that conversation and and really to to address the mindsets of all people. So, so here we have this um, really big global issue and still today in 2017 I, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago on the show is I have family members who who still um, don't recycle they they don't they don't recycle and they buy tons and tons and tons of plastic bottles you know and it's like how mm. does that mindset still exist in 2017 let's just talk about that for a little bit before we get to some of the solutions and where we're going was to create this whole systems change andrew and to really affect the mindsets of of all people this massive change in public attitudes that you talk about and public um, behaviors that we're talking about what's what's our prescription where where do we go and and how is it that we still have people who are not conscious to what's going on well the first thing is there's no silver bullet as you well know whole system change means changing everything from or changes at every level at every level from childhood child rearing um 
business practices, uh, government regulations, corporate global governance, all that stuff. There are lots of people who are somewhat aware of the issues. I mentioned, for example, ocean acidification to, to strangers. Often get a kind of, yeah, yeah, that's going on. Which kind of surprises me because I thought it was kind of often esoteric. But no, people are aware to some degree. But they don't get, most people don't get that we're in an ecological emergency with, a, with devastating consequences. And in a casual conversation, probably can't tell that to anybody with any hope of um, being more than perhaps glaze their eyes. So my idea about how to affect people's thinking and feeling is to arrange time with people we know, business colleagues, friends, say, hey, let's spend an hour and go through some, some thinking about this stuff. And often people will agree. That's time-consuming, labor-intensive, and a lot of fun. Like working with my models and dealing with how people think about things. It's at times challenging, as you would know as a psychotherapist. Any effort to affect how people think is always challenging. That is our challenge. My thought is that people will begin to recycle, if you will, two things happen. And they personally get that uh, this stuff is real and they should be responsible. Also, perhaps, when they see that the larger culture is committed to transitioning to a life-sustaining society, uh, when they begin to hear that language uh, from friends, uh, when they hear it through the social activists, um, that is the environmental progressive movement and the consciousness movement folks. Uh, when they begin to see it in mainstream press, that'll be impressive. And I have a vision that at some time, that will be the guiding direction for our society. That's the whole point of the exercise as a step to the big point, which actually is to transition to a life-sustaining society where the environmental indicators are all positive, not negative. Mm. Andrew, I, I think that your model is brilliant and, um, you know, creating the conditions to have these conversations is important. And I, and I, I think that there's really a challenge in the invitation and I'm, I'm wondering more about that. I'll, t I'll tell you, I, I read my statement to my daughter today. We were on the phone when I was prepping for the show earlier. And I said, listen to this meme. And I put my three memes together that I am committed to transition to a life-sustaining society and a culture of love for the good of the whole. And she went, mom, that's beautiful. But are you really committed? And like instantly she challenged me. And it was perfect. It was like the example of what I see the kitchen table conversations happening. She goes, Mom, are you really committed to that? Is this your is this your commitment? You have a big house and it uses a lot of energy. And she started giving me examples of how I live and really challenged me in that moment. And I'm like, I know, Quincy. <laughs> I know I have a lot of work to do. So how how do we bring these conversations into that? Um, families, workplace, you have 
a lot of really rich and deep materials on the website. And um, you, why don't you give us that website? Is it, It's www.greattransitionsinitiative.com. Greattransitioninitiative.net. Um, .net. You okay. listeners, and you should know that the that Paul Raskin of TELUS Institute has also a Great Transition Initiative. Okay. You're philosophically completely aligned. However, his Great Transition Initiative is an academic think tank, and ours is a citizen-led education movement. Okay. Thank you for thank you for differentiating that. So greattransitioninitiative.net. There's a plethora of resources. So how does the, the let's let's there is a plethora of resources. But the thing is that some of the resources are really simple and easy. Yeah. A flyer with just two sides, one of them is a set of briefing points. Um, the kitchen table conversations manual has a set of modules. Each module is quite short, so people are afraid, reasonably so, given time constraints in today's world, afraid of being overwhelmed, of too much material, overwhelming mass. No, 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 we're not doing an academic course. We boil it down to the simple essence, so it's quite usable. But there's another question you raised. How would we behave if we took the ecological emergency seriously? And I look at a lot of the environmental progressive movement, and I don't see them behaving that way. I see lots of people doing their thing, various things that people are doing, protests, the um, practical work, policy reports, the academic reviews. They're all important. They're all a contribution. But few people within that community in our larger community, we have a willing, perhaps. I mean, they're not, I shouldn't be too fussed about their willingness because I've got to push that. But few people have actually done the systems thinking to ask, what would it take to actually succeed? What would it take to win? Where win means doing just what you said, transitioning to a life-sustaining society, a society of love, a society of caring. Um, so we have to ask that big question and ask it um, in a way that leads through a series of steps down to transformative practical action. So I have adopted the top-level mean transition to a life-sustaining society. Uh, that's been adapted from Joanna Macy, so it's not my language, but uh, hopefully it becomes our language, because this isn't about me, this is about what we can do together. But once we have the meme, then, yeah, memes are great. Earth Hour, um, mobilize for climate change. But then we have to think through systemically, how do we actually act on that meme? What does it mean? And I unpacked it to two major tenets. Uh, on the social psychological side, a life-sustaining society will operate on goodwill partnership respect values rather than domination control values. And that language and that insight comes from Rianne Eisler's seminal book, a wonderful book called The Chalice and the Blade. Mm. In it, she reviews the history of how what's now Turkey 
used to be called Anatolia, 6,000 years ago was invaded by mounted horsemen from the steppes of Russia and perhaps northern Middle East. Towns changed from being towns without fortifications to being towns defended with walls. The art changed from bucolic to uh, martial, and patriarchy was introduced by the sword. She looked at that and said, I think the two basic ways of relating, domination control and partnership respect. But clearly a life-sustaining society will operate in ways that take care of people and communities and nature. And the other tenet is it has to be ecologically sustainable in the real-world sense of living within planetary boundaries, where we undermine, as we're doing, our resource base and consequences will follow. You know, one of the things that, as I listen to you, um, I'm reminded that you you have done your homework. <laughs> the website is filled with resources of others, and you're just, you know, you've just quoted um, some of my favorite authors here in this as well. And this occurred to me when I was listening to you, Andrew, just listening to you talking about the behavior change and I was thinking, you know what, Even whether we believe that we are in ecological danger or not, whether we believe in global warming or not, creating that society would really be nice. I mean, like the benefits of that mutual partnership and respect and honoring and living simply, all of that would be attractive in itself. Is that enough to That's attract beautiful. people? That's beautiful, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the human species is trending towards love. Uh, there's a yeah. psychohistorian, founder of psychohistory, uh, a guy named Lloyd de Maus, a brilliant researcher and thinker in his own right. Uh, he married the disciplines of Freudian psychoanalysis with history, and he says, uh, when you look at human history, it appears that most children were raised very abusively in times past, at least from in the Western history, from the times of the Greeks um, through till now. Times when we have written records, we can go back and make some informed speculations about what child rearing and must have been like for people. There was a massive amount of child abuse. That's the bad news. And the good news is that Step by step, from the time of infanticide to times when infants were routinely sent out to wet nurses and, in effect, abandoned, through to the socializing, emotional control kind of stuff that we saw in the movie um, Dead Poet Society, for those who know it, till now when many parents are actually doing what Demels calls helping mode parenting not saying to their children, you must be like I want you to be, but rather asking, hmm, who do you want to be today? How are you evolving? How can I help you? And helping the kids find their own way to become themselves. In that, the mouse has the wonderful statement, that yes, we're evolving towards true love. And, uh, that's what the journey is about, yeah. Mm. I really appreciate how you can tie that together and um, just 
the journey to true love. How, how beautiful is that? You know, you have mentioned these modules in your kitchen table conversation and um, partnership, respect, relating as a core value of life-sustaining society is one of them um, that we've just talked about. And, and one of the things that I really appreciate is how you really do break the conversation down real simply. You give examples, you give um, ideas of way to see things and experience things. There's, there's visual aids there. There's exercises you could do that help break that down even more. I, I really appreciate that. I'm wondering if you could just say a little bit more about this partnership respect as relating um, with one another and how that, that core value literally leads to the life-sustaining society just before break. We're going to take a break in just a couple of minutes, but I think that this is a, a really important one that we can really ground here as a culture, and all of our listeners will be right on board with you because um, <laughs> they do care. So I'm, I'm just curious if we can talk about that partnership relationship respect thing just a little bit more and give us a little bit more inspiration on how that will make a difference. Sure, but first let me introduce the idea of fractals and DNA. So mm. you may know that a fractal is a, mathematically, it's a pattern that looks similar at every scale of magnification. So an actual example of a fractal might be a sprig of broccoli where overall it looks a bunch of trees, but you take a little sprig of it and that looks like a smaller bunch of trees and then down a little bit and even the little buds look like a small bunch of trees. So that's a fractal quite naturally. But there are dynamic fractals um, where similar modes of acting have similar effects at every scale, from small scales to large scales. So um, partnership respect has its own set of fractals, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but then so does domination control. So if in the domination side, abusive charlering, bullying in, in, um, in Workplaces or schools and gracious social policies all have the same effect of creating misery and hostility. This part of respect has the effect of creating well being and ultimately supports the individual mm. grounding in love. So it's scale and they're each ways of operating, so they're kind of like DNA. So um, many of you may be, talking now to listeners, many of you may be familiar with, or hope you become familiar with, Le Boyer birth. Frederick Le Boyer was an obstetrician. He had presided at births maybe 10,000, who knows, long career. I think he must have gone deeply into yoga as part of his journey, but at some point he said, birth happened, I was about to slap this child who was being held upside down, and then I actually saw the infant. There the infant was, hanging upside down, totally terrified. And I was about to physically assault it to get its breathing going. And aware, that's no way to breed a newborn. So you worked out, what would be a nice way, a pleasant way, a warm and loving way to breed a newborn? Well, keep the lights low, keep the temperature warm, not cool. Put it immediately onto the mother. Don't cut the umbilical cord right away because the umbilical, 
umbilical cord still carries blood and it gives the infant a time to adjust to oxygen on its lungs. It can sip it in, take it a little bit, get used to it, rather than being have the cord cut, being thrown into a life emergency, life or death, it's got to breathe or die, uh, with the associated panic. So, many people have adapted Laboy's idea. He wrote a beautiful book about it called Birth Without Violence. Mm. And people who are greeted in that way and then perhaps given a very delicate massage to release the physical trauma of birth have far less birth trauma from the get-go. Yeah. A great foundation for the rest of their life. Yeah. So and you know what? Yes, that's a beautiful example for us that we can apply in so many ways. We need to take a break. I hate to cut you off because I love this story and I just want to feel into it a little bit more. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, so much more. What can your organizations, what can your workplace do? There's so much more to talk about. We're here with Andrew Gaines. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. to Empower Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. Today might be the day I drop out of school. Today could be the last day I try. My parents alone can't stop me. My friends can't even stop me. But you might be able to. With United Way, you could tutor me, be my mentor, or volunteer to just read with me. If someone had helped me earlier, I might not be struggling. And studies prove that kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. There are tons of ways people like you can help kids like me stay in school. And United Way is calling for you to be one of them. Because it takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between me becoming one or the other could be you. Make me a success, not a statistic. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. There's a natural resource that exists everywhere on the planet which could benefit all of civilization. Yet it's been largely ignored. That resource is women. In many of the world's poorest communities, women are denied a significant role. So often their talent and potential remain untapped. At CARE, we found in country after country that empowering women is one of the fastest ways to improve conditions and help end poverty. That's why CARE is helping provide girls and women with an education, opportunity, and a voice worldwide. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am powerful. It's a source of power the world can no longer afford to overlook. She has the power to change her world. You have the power to help her do it. 
call 1-800-521-CARE or visit care.org. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now, that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Adopt Us Kids in the Ad Council. Empower your life. Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for listening in today. If you're inspired by our conversation, I invite you to share it with others and maybe just listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find the archive links as well as a listing of all of our upcoming guests. So again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'd love to hear from you. So thank you for your notes messages, emails, everything. We love to stay connected and and serve you. Also, come play with me and other global co-creatives at goodofthewhole.com. Again, that's goodofthewhole.com. We are here today with Andrew Gaines, and he's joining us from Sydney, Australia. We're talking about the Great Transition Initiative, and you can find more about all of that and Andrew's incredible resources he's put together for us at greattransitioninitiative.net. And Andrew, one of the things that um, we met through mutual friends working in this this doing the same work on the planet and it and it occurs to me there are so many who are frustrated with our governments they want to they want to maybe get to the streets and do the resistance and the protesting but also there are so many organizations that I kind of want to just turn our our conversation a little bit to address how do we create more coherence and coordination with these organizations? Because regardless of what maybe your government would be doing, no matter where you're at in the world, the people can make a difference. The people vote with their money. They vote with their purchasing. They vote with their lack of purchasing. We support organizations. There's so much we can do, but there are so many organizations out there. So let's just turn our attention for a minute to to the organizations and how do we create more coherence? And then what what can the people do? Um, we'll, we'll get to that after the talk about the organizations. Sure. Paul Hawken made the case brilliantly that there are literally millions of organizations around the world that care about social and environmental well-being. Millions. If we were to bring leaders of these organizations together to talk about major project, we'd probably have find lots of arguing. Because each organization thinks what they're doing is really important. Each organization is correct. So rather than trying to a big meeting to agree on policy strategies and specific projects, I thought it's been, well, maybe we can bypass all that and simply align in the intention to create a life-sustaining society in the recognition that communicating help ordinary people understand what's involved and become passionate about it is something we can do off our own back. 
it's a, it's a really simple model. We align rather than actually organizing. We don't even have to meet each other. We choose to take responsibility for the good of the whole, and we act on that responsibility by, in this case, communicating with our friends, neighbors, business colleagues, and our larger networks. It's not just about conversations. We use every tool that, are, that we can. So uh, we can use social media. We can send email letters to folks. Um, we can do guerrilla marketing. We can do on seminars, uh, workshops. All government of communication tools is available to us, including, indeed, kitchen table conversations. You are organizing a month of this, everything that we're talking about. Your month is to really raise awareness to everyone, regardless of where you're at on the planet and, and what... Um, how active you've been in the past. Tell us more about that. I wish I could reach everybody during March. It's going to be starting in March, which is just coming right up. Uh, it's called the Great Transition Communication Blitz. And the idea is for as many individuals as possible throughout Australia, America, Canada, the developed world, anywhere in the world, but as many as possible to communicate through the networks precisely about what we're talking about. The simplest thing people could do would be to send an email through the, through the networks. And sample emails are on the website. Um, so we're not going to reach the whole world. What we are going to do is kickstart an ongoing wave of communication that will grow over time. So I would love it if each of you listening would say, hmm, there's something in this for me, I can do something. Go to the website, greattransitioninitiative.net, uh, check through the tools, and adapt the one that makes sense to you. Beautiful. And, and individuals can get involved. Workplaces can get involved. Organizations can get involved. And, it, you know, just... Just like you mentioned, if we can't agree on how to move forward or policy or procedures, we all can do our part of what feels resonant with us. Um, yes, policy and procedures are second tier. Top tier is to get the alignment. Um, and Mark Zuckerberg founder of Facebook, uh, has produced a beautiful document calling for essentially goodwill cohesion around the world and speculating about how Facebook as a company can contribute to that. And in it, his model, which is quite beautiful, is say, you need to have many voices, many viewpoints, and hear the different viewpoints, rather than just being in echo chambers stuck in our own communication silos. Mm. I totally agree with that. That's part of the creativity. That's part of what makes democracy work. Everybody's voice gets heard, ideally. But there's something more fundamental that's not a matter of opinion and not negotiable. And those are the two twin pillars we just talked about. It's not negotiable that we should transition and have an ecologically sustainable society. And it's actually not negotiable in terms of deep core values. So how to carry out life-positive policies 
Sure, there could be great scope for debate, different viewpoints. But the foundation is we have to go for that kind of stuff and work out the details. It's even almost a... I, I really appreciate talking about this as a, a practice and a way of being and a way of living. And, you know, you have had um, incredible training in different kinds of practices for health and well-being. And really, when we're talking about not just this communication blitz and doing our part there, but really making those sustainable changes that we're talking about, transitioning to a life, sustaining society, really is a spiritual practice as well. Can you speak to that? Well, Andrew Harvey says, you're spiritual, you bloody better get fired up. (laughs) 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 Um, But the first thing is to actually find our own spirit, our own carrying, our own heart of carrying. That's really important to find because, as everybody would know, we can easily be overcome by doubts. I'm just one person. I can't do anything. Culture is too whatever. Uh, I'm not skillful enough. Whatever. People will reject me. People will be angry at me. Some of which may be true. But maybe get irritated when we bring up uncomfortable topics. So we have to find our depth of caring sufficiently to go through whatever barriers we may have and bring it up, take the flack. But hopefully, bring it up over time more and more skillfully, gently, in ways that we, we find ways to actually reach the people we're talking to. One way might be, maybe at a certain point, to reach, to look in somebody's eyes and say, you know, I really care about this. I hope you will come to it, or something like that. We can't force people, and we shouldn't. We can encourage people. Well, that really brings up. There's another piece. Some years ago, I gave a talk, an early version of this, what I'm talking about now, to an environmental engineering group. So, this is a group of talented professionals working in the field. I talked about partnership, respect, values, and this kind of stuff. And then I said, Would anybody be open to reproducing this. It was the end of our time. One person said, oh, I don't think I know enough. I was astonished because he was a professional. And I thought, well, if I ever do something like that again, what I will do is at the beginning, I will introduce the tapping technique, emotional freedom techniques, just as a possibility. Those who don't know what tapping is, a very quick way to tap with our fingers on acupressure points in a way that resolves, sometimes astonishingly rapidly, uh, emotional upsets, in this case, doubts. So in my fantasy scenario, I would say to this engineer, well, would you be willing to work on that with me using EFT? And he says, yes, and then we would tap. Even though I doubt that um, I know enough, love and accept myself or something like that. So we tap on the points. It takes about a minute and a half. And if it goes well, he says, well, gee, I know a lot. And actually, I was worried that my friends wouldn't go for this. But actually, some of them would be quite open, I now think. So he would get an energy shift and a viewpoint shift just from the tapping by working on himself. And that's a great point right there, that no matter what, 
when we're just focused on what's ours to do, um, the, the, the inward ecology too, like really taking responsibility, like my daughter calling me out on my big house. Um, you know, I get to look inside and, and ask those really important questions. And I, I love the, the tapping as an example, but it also reminds me that, um, you know, Andrew Harvey also says, find what breaks your heart open and let that be your sacred activism. And so really what we're saying that, that really is in alignment with the simplicity of what you've created in your resources, in my opinion, is that, you know, if, if fracking is your thing or protecting the waters or the tropical rainforest or forest, forestation or soil conservation, or doesn't even matter what that passion that you have that is yours, just do what you can. Step into what's yours to do. If it's water well, protecting, do water protecting. Really? Go ahead. Yeah. Like that, and I also query it and explain. So, yes, this notion, follow your passion, follow what cracks your heart open. Protest or do what you can about fracking or estuaries or the well-being of kids in your neighborhood. Yes, do it, do it. But not just that. Don't just drop into that particular extreme cul-de-sac. In addition to doing these on-the-ground things, these heart-led things, also do the communication with your networks about transition to a life-sustaining society. Yeah. Because otherwise, the current operation of all these small endeavors, first, bad news is the small endeavors are failing. Lots of good work, lots of successes, but overall, failing in terms of a healthy world. So we have to generate the alignment as well as continuing with our on-the-ground passion. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that back in because that's, and that's everything that we're talking about with this communication blitz is talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends, talk to your workplace, continue the conversation, raise awareness. And again, we're, we're really looking at a massive change in public attitude and behavior. So and massive we're not, change is already going on. That's yeah. the exciting thing about what Paul Hawkins said, about what you said about the groups. The great transition is underway. It really is. Despite the news and despite Trump, if you will, here in Australia, whatever. So it is underway. Yeah. Hmm. So, Andrew, I'm just I'm just thinking about this prescription and and the tools that you've given us and and talk to others. I, I just want to say yes, yes, yes to you bringing that back in. And let's let's just close the show because we the time that we have left. I'm really curious about how you might describe that life sustaining society. What might that look like? I know that you write about that it might look a little utopian and it might look realistic and we need both of that. And I loved how you explain that. Can you, can you share that with our listeners? <laughs> Do I remember what I said, Julie? <laughs> um, well, it's just working out what, what would love and action look like. 
at a practical level. So it's going to be, first, it's, well, two main features. First, we'll obviously not be using fossil fuels. Um, secondly, everybody, big house, will be living maturely modest lifestyles. The simple reason that we can't afford the environmental damage associated with our big influx of industrial products coming through. We're going to simplify. In that simplification, there'll be profound economic changes. The economic system is designed to keep people time poor and working hard in ways that feed the fantasy wealth of the power elites. I say fantasy wealth because there's a lot of artificial money in the system. David Corton talks about the difference between the Wall Street economy and the Main Street economy, with Wall Street being huge amounts of money in speculative finance. So we'll have to change the rules so that gradually the amount of speculative finance reduces. We finally have a Main Street economy of people working with people in their communities, so accountants and massage therapists and farmers and small-scale manufacturers and um, all this. Um, but not based on economic growth. It's be a steady-state economy, where steady-state means that, yes, the economic flows go up and down a little bit, uh, but they're not devoted to ever more money increase because the money increase drives both social imbalance and also shows up as increased manufacturing. So, And that's, it's going to be a big journey and it's going to be horrendous from here anyway because we have more population in the world than the world can handle. So there's going to be a die-off. People predict that and unfortunately I think it's the case. But we can work to make mitigate that as much as possible and treat people as well as possible. We do that by, first instance, caring for our own countries and then we'll look at beyond policy. We should be investing in the well-being, those countries that have excess wealth or apparent excess wealth, like Australia, investing in the well-being of other countries. That's the solution, idealistically and long-range, to the refugee, refugee issue. But of course, we're not long range. Global warming and refugees are here now. It's not simple. Hmm, it's not simple. But when we really work together, literally, I think that the journey can be full of really deeply moving and meaningful relationships and activity that would really shift our consciousness on the planet as people are working together. And we become great transition champions. We put ourselves in the service of a, of a um, higher calling, if you will, a greater mission. Mm. I appreciate that so much. You know, it's it's not going to be easy, and we don't all have to agree, but if we're all doing our part, just like you're encouraging us to do, and talk to others. So now I'm, like, motivated. I'm, Andrew, I have to tell you, I'm inspired and I'm motivated. I'm thinking about all the people whom I sit back and observe their behavior, but I never say something to them, and um, it would be so simple 
to say, hey, have you ever thought about that? Or why don't you come on over for dinner and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this. And, you know, we have a plethora of resources, documentaries, movies, and your resources in this handbook are incredible. So thank you for gifting us with that. My pleasure. It's led me to this. I'm talking with you, Julie. This is good. <laughs> Yeah, it's really been fun to just, you know, connect and, and to share this. And I really, really admire your passion for this and, and how how well thought out and whole systems that you've really taken this approach. So, so thank you for that. So, Andrew, we just have about three more minutes. And I'm just wondering if there's any one last important message that you want to leave with our listeners today that that is important to you and your heart? Well, I should have anticipated this question, shouldn't I? Let me just <laughs> pause a minute and think for a moment. Well, just our main theme. I'm hoping that those of you who are listening will align with me and with Julie and with a multitude of others and just get on with it. Mm. Probably feel alone because you won't be seeing lots of messages of other people doing it at first. The Great Transition Initiative is not an organization. There's nothing to join. You can sign up on the website to be part of a newsletter, and occasionally I send stuff out, but I'm not very good at it, but that'll come. So it's really a matter of independent action. So the real spiritual test is care enough to actually do it. I hope you do. Beautiful. Yes. Andrew, you are a gift to us and I so appreciate you bringing this great transition initiative forward. And it's so nice to know we have friends in Sydney, Australia, and that you're over there doing the work, but really inspiring all of us everywhere. So thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Julie, my pleasure to be with you. Mm. Truly. Oh, thank you. And I just want to remind our listeners, you can find out so much more on the Great Transition Initiative at greattransitioninitiative.net. Look for that kitchen table conversations. It's just incredible on the resources there. If you don't know what to do, that is perfectly okay. And Andrew will agree with me. You go to that site and all of a sudden you are going to have more than what you can do and really simple instructions on how to get involved. Simple, simple, simple everything right there. So I agree with Andrew. Just do your part and we'll all work together for the greater good of the whole. So for now, um, you're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. See you right back here next week. Bye for now. <laughs>